Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler. Joining today is uh, Janice Min, Tatiana Siegel, and uh, Peter Kiefer is back. Uh, Peter, welcome. Good to see you again. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, you, of course, uh, had, I guess we'll call it, it's only recording on Thursday. We'll give you the piece of the week, uh, Peter, at this point. <laughs> I, you know, I was so excited. I found these really interesting numbers about Troll, a Norwegian uh, monster movie that was dominating Netflix. And then that was like, oh, no, that's not the story of the week. Now, this is uh, you came in with a story, uh, which is actually, I guess, an ex- extension of a, a previous story you broke earlier in the year about uh, Elizabeth Finch, who is a name that is definitely more well-known around Hollywood and beyond, I'd say, uh, this week. Um, a, I guess we'll say, disgraced uh, former uh, Grey's Anatomy writer and kind of a wonderkind in the the Shondaland universe. Um, so I guess, well, first, uh, give us a lay of land about the story. Why don't we, we start from there? The story first broke back in, I think, March. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So um, in March, uh, we got a tip that um, this writer on Grey's Anatomy, um, who was considered a star on the show, um, largely because she had uh, real life medical problems that were weaved into the actual uh, storylines on Grey's Anatomy, um, may have been making up portions of what she had told her bosses and actually told uh, the general public. She also wrote... um, uh, essays for very prominent publications uh, detailing how her cancer she, she'd had um, bouts of cancer and, and chemotherapy and she'd had all these horrible things happen to her um, and we were told that she was possibly making a lot of it up we um, scrambled to try and confirm it and we were the first publication to write that there were deep deep concerns about the veracity of the stories she had been um, telling her bosses and also whether or not the things that Grey's Anatomy had been saying were based on real life events were actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was back in March. Um, she was promptly put on uh, administrative leave by Disney um, as they sort of wanted to start their investigation uh, because it pertained to medical records. It was going to be very hard to get to the truth of what illnesses she did or didn't have if she wasn't going to cooperate and provide medical records she ultimately declined to do that and resigned from the show shortly thereafter. Um, so that was the setup. And then, um, Wait, Peter, yeah. Peter, can I just, I think it's important to bring up at the moment when we broke that story, when you broke that story, you had talked to her for about 10 seconds. Um, and you got one comment from her in that piece. And what do you recall? Can you recount that comment? Yeah, it was, um, I, I, I called her, I'd been calling her and texting her, trying to get in touch with her, and she kept um, uh, not responding. And it turned out that, that it, was, it was her, I didn't know this, but I called her on her birthday. And so I think she didn't understand, she thought I was uh, calling to say happy birthday. She didn't understand my phone numbers. And she picked up and I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm about to write a story about you. I need, I need some comment. I need, to, this is a serious thing. And she said, um, now's not a very good time. Thanks. And hung up. Okay, so um, save the rest of that because we found out well, you found out much more context around that phone call uh, for the current piece that everyone's talking about right now. But I also want you to contextualize like Elizabeth Finch was not just a regular television writer on a hit show. She had crossed over into what would be like like a superstar writer. Can you explain that? Yeah, uh, um, she. Like I said, she had starting around uh, 2012, she started to tell people that she had cancer 
and it was a very rare and deadly form of cancer. Um, and so that immediately shocked people. Um, and um, in addition to telling friends, she started to write, um, like I said, um, actual essays, for, like, journalistic essays, explaining her medical problems. For Elle um, and the Hollywood Elle magazine and for the Hollywood Reporter. And Shondaland, uh, Shondaland's own website. Exactly, yeah. and the Shondaland website. And her, her, she, as, as time progressed, her medical problems kept getting worse and worse and worse. And we know this because she wrote about all of them and shared them publicly. And as her problems got worse, the, um, the the staff at Gray's Anatomy just had no choice. They couldn't actually believe they had somebody in their midst who was actually suffering through many of the things of that characters on their shows that they, they dream up actually exhibit. So it was too good for them to pass up. So in the process of, 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 of sharing her problems, the show started borrowing um, elements of her life. And, it, and she became ex- increasingly more important to the Grey's Anatomy um, atmosphere and environment. And her power inside Shondaland, which produces the show, uh, grew uh, immensely over time until she was pretty much right second in command to the showrunner. And she was out there accepting awards on behalf of the show. She would do press um, uh, with the showrunner on sort of big national publications at the launch of new seasons. So she was, and 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 she she wielded a huge amount of power on the show and was a bona fide friend of Shonda Rhimes's too. They would they went to at least one play together. I know that. So she had huge amounts of power, um, and she wielded that power uh, regularly uh, inside the writers' room. And she, um, I think you you would report in this current piece. You reported that she ended up producing 172 episodes. Is that was was that the correct number? Yeah, I think in with various uh, production producer titles, I think it, it it rounded out to around 172. And then I think she she was a, a written by on about 13 episodes. And then I think in one season alone, she wrote like uh, five episodes. I think so. She was prolific. Um, and they were turning to her um, for all. Uh, sorts of, of of characters and plot lines and 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 various episodes because the, everyone thought she had the the, the real world uh, the, well she had the advantage of af- actually going through all of these things which makes right. as we all know makes it easier to write about them had the authority to write these for a, the, uh, and in, in particular a character played by Debbie Allen Dr. Catherine Avery is that right Yes, correct, correct. She, uh, she, and um, it, yeah, it was uh, uh, Debbie Allen's character. Uh, ultimately, they decided she should be the avatar in many ways for Elizabeth Finch in real life. So Elizabeth uh, would write for her specifically, and then in a yet another crazy element, they became very close friends um, in real life. I learned uh, much later, and they were actually working on some projects outside of Shondaland before all of this stuff like went down. Yes, those are. On pause. They're on pause. Um, yeah, they're on pause. <laughs> so, okay. So then, like, so then I would love for you to fast forward to where we where we got. And, but in the, the in-between step was like, so you basically upended, I think we even got a, a legal letter at the time when you were posting that. Is, if, is that correct? Is- yeah. Yeah. So I think she was aware that I was uh, close to, to, to learning the whole, not the whole truth, but at least enough to write the first initial story. And she hired um, a very prominent um, uh, entertainment lawyer, and um, she directed me towards to him. And he, I mean, I sent, I forwarded it on to you and Richard Janice when when we were about to publish. And yeah. it was, you know, it's one of those sort of scary letters that powerful lawyers send you to try and deter you from publishing a, a damaging story about their clients. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, we take those things seriously, but I, we knew we had the goods. So we obviously yeah. published. Oh, and by uh, the way, Andrew Brettler, the lawyer, he's a listener of the Ankler podcast. So hi, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'll, I'm sure he's definitely listening to this one. Um, so, okay. So then Peter, because like we're, you know, stupid journalists and delusional. I think that then we start talking about you trying to get an interview with Elizabeth. Right, right. So I, uh, yes. So I had approached um, Andrew, um, who was sort of working on as her, you know, confidant and spokesperson. And I thought it was a total pipe dream. But, you know, I put in the request to try and interview her. And he said, well, she's not talking to anyone now. And I don't know if she ever will. So I kind of just let that one go. And I was then spent the next few weeks trying to learn everything I could about her story, who she was, where she came from, her friends, you know, what the actual truth was, because I didn't quite know everything yet. And um, I was aware other reporters were pursuing the same story. Um, And so it was sort of a a race to see who could get, you know, the next big sort of explanatory piece about this very uh, complicated and weird uh, uh, story. And um, a big story came out in Vanity Fair, I think around May. And so I was like, it was, and it was, it was a good story, but um, it, it was, and it was disappointing for me because I was, I was hoping to beat them to the punch, but uh, they got there first. And so we kind of put it on um, the back burner for a while. But it didn't have her. It had Correct. The ex-wife or the right. ex-wife or, uh, you know, the estranged wife. Exactly. So they, the, the Vanity Fair, so Elizabeth, um, the crazy story. <laughs> she was, she, she, she was, she married this woman who lived in Topeka, Kansas, whose name is Jennifer uh, Bayer. And um, Jennifer's a, a registered nurse. And they, they'd had this sort of uh, romance, this pandemic romance and quickly uh, moved in together and got married. And then over time, uh, it didn't take too much time, but Jennifer, uh, through like going through her phone and seeing her messages and seeing how she behaved, um, started to have suspicions that Jennifer, uh, that, that her wife, Elizabeth, didn't have cancer and didn't have many of the ailments that she had claimed to have. A missing kidney. A missing kidney. Uh, she had uh, claimed that she had uh, a part of her tibia had been removed. Part of her leg. Um, yep. Yep. Part of her leg. Uh, she said, uh, you know, she uh, claimed at one point, um, and she wrote, she writes about all of this stuff. She claimed that she had, um, an unwanted pregnancy that she had to abort because because, of the chemotherapy or because it was either her or, or it, cause yes, the chemotherapy was going to, you know, kill the, kill the, the fetus. So she, or, and she was not willing to sort of risk not taking the chemo. So anyways, it was all these crazy, horrible stories and they just kept mounting and mounting. And anyways, uh, uh, her wife, Jennifer, uh, confronted her and found enough evidence where she's basically said, I know you're lying and I, I, you need to go and tell people that you've been lying. And um, they hemmed, she, she hemmed and hawed and she was very upset about this. But ultimately, she decided to start to tell her friends and family that she was making some of this stuff up. And then when this, you know, what we call in the, uh, the, the story I wrote, a confession tour um, got to the point where she was uncomfortable. She said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And then um, Jennifer Bayer, her wife, uh, tipped off uh, Sean Deland and Disney and called them and said, uh, I, my wife is lying to you guys and you guys need to stop putting her stories out on the air. And that's when actually the first 
of leaks occurred to actually to us. And yeah. so that was kind of the first domino to fall, which ultimately led now to the story that we published yesterday. It's pretty phenomenal. So, so, okay. So, you know, I, you and I, we talk about trying to get an interview with her for a while. And I think after the Vanity Fair story ran, I think we both decided to, well, but still the real get is Elizabeth. And, um, and so you landed it and how, how did that happen? Well, I, um, I, I, I kept in touch with, with Andrew, her lawyer, and would check in with him. Um, coincidentally, he lives in my neighborhood. And so we would go, we'd, we had breakfast once. And um, and anyways, I just felt like I should just keep tabs on it. And um, he, uh, in August, uh, I think it was August, early August, he he checked in. I was on the East Coast and he said, can, I, can we talk? And I was like, this could be good. And he said, Elizabeth is getting close to ready, uh, being ready to speak to a reporter and she wants to talk to you and she wants to do a story with the angler. And I was, I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. I was shocked, but I was like, it, it, it actually kind of made sense. And because, and for somebody who had lied to the degree that Elizabeth had lied, uh, for her to just write something explaining who, what she did and no one was going to believe her. Right. You know, she, she, she backed herself in a corner where she needed a, a third, an objective third party, prefer- preferably somebody who was like a serious journalist who mm-hmm. knew her, the ins and outs of her life to 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 interrogate her, yeah, and to to actually put her through the process that she would need to go through, so people who read her story would believe it. And so, I honestly, I I, I know way too much about Elizabeth Finch, and I learned way too much about her. So I was actually the perfect candidate for this. It made it made a lot of sense. Um, so. We like starting in September, we started to pin down some dates um, for us to talk. And, you know, we started talking in October and met um, on four occasions. And I recorded five hours of interviews with Elizabeth. And it was like no holds barred, no conditions, no publicists, no lawyers. It was just me and her. And it was um, it was a very fascinating process to go through with her. Uh, it's yes. And I, I remember all along the way, I was, I was worried that she was going to back out that, that she would find meeting you overwhelming and not decide this was a bad idea. And she never tried. She, she was all in was, I think how you described it. She was and and I mean, I, 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 maybe I, I deserve a little bit of credit because mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I was I, I was very patient, and I think we spent you know I, I I we sat the first interview we we I decided you know what let's just do this off the record, yeah. And we just talked. I wanted to make her feel comfortable. I understood that she was taking this was a hard thing for her, and I you know and I knew that this was going to take some time and to make her feel comfortable with me. So you know I just sort of sat with her and talked to her and told her who I was, and I was very honest and upfront about what I wanted to do. But, you know, I just approached it as, you know, a human being and and she responded to that. And I think, you know, I never misled her. I, I, I was I was totally blunt and honest. And and I, I, I hope that in many ways that helped her feel like she was sitting with the right person. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so you I, I think what's stunning about your story is you uncovered things she lied about that went far beyond the cancer. Um, 
and things that almost in hindsight seem so implausible to have happened to one person. But can you uh, can you walk us through just the litany of sort of extraordinary lies? Yeah, I'll go from like most extraordinary on down. I, I mean, I think the one that probably shocked most people the most and offended most people the most was that she claimed that she was a regular congregant at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, which is where that horrific mass shooting occurred um, mm -hmm. several years ago. Um, yeah. She did have a connection to Pittsburgh. She graduated um, from Carnegie Mellon. And as far as I can tell, she may have attended um, a few services at the Tree of Life Synagogue, but she was not a regular congregant. And she also, after the massacre occurred, she claimed that she had lost a couple dear friends in the shooting and that she had to fly out to Pittsburgh um, and, uh, like day of the shooting and that because of her proximity to these people, she was allowed in to the, to the, to the, to the crime scene. And she described to friends how horrific it was and all of these things. And she was not even close to Pittsburgh on any of those days. She or and, knew, knew anyone or knew anyone in the congregation. Um, was she even much, Jewish? She is Jewish. She is. She's definitely Jewish. Um, he says she's Jewish. <laughs> uh, so there is that. Um, but so that one, that was a that was a real doozy. And and the problem was, and I think why there was so much resentment, and there still is so much resentment towards her, is because she it wasn't as it wasn't that she just lied about that. She would then take leaves of absence from work uh, when there was like the, the the year anniversary of the shooting. She would say, "I'm I, you know I'm this is a triggering time for me. I need to." Um, I need to fly to Pittsburgh. I, I need time off. And and so so it wasn't just that it was a one off and she used this as sort of a, you know, this is everyone look at me. I'm so traumatized. It would she would she would use it in perpetuity to gain, you know, freedom from the show. And and so a lot of people were are furious at her for that um, and remain and, 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 and just a friend. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then another another crazy rumor. She, she told her colleagues that her brother had committed suicide and i think this was in 2019 um and that she that he had committed suicide and that she, i think at one point he she claimed to some people that he had she was now going to have to t look after his children or one child i think he had and turns out he did not commit suicide and he is alive and well and he is working as a, a doctor in florida um so i well, mean Peter, can I read the email you you published that she sent to to her the Gray's writers room? Like, please, please. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I've been gone because my brother died by suicide. So she, clearly, she was missing. I've been gone because my brother died by suicide. He was on life support for a short while, but ultimately did not survive. I say this not because I need or want anything from anyone. I'm not a delicate flower or whatever. I just want people to know I'm still here, still part of the team. Like, right. it, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's nuts. And and what's what's even more nuts about it is that it's really not that hard for someone to figure out that her brother hadn't committed suicide. You know, it doesn't take some crack detective to go out and just check and see. You know, there's millions of ways you can go about doing that. And so it just... That one struck me as one of these lies that just showed how reckless she had become and and how, you know, un unmoored from, you know, reality 
and and yeah. and 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 it, 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 that one just sort of show, showed to me that she was really she had some she had a, a very very serious problem and she was careening uh, totally out of control well i, I want to get to the reasons why she says she did this but i i think our audience would be very interested in the reward system as she related or as you reported on in the writer's room in uh, in Shondaland where the more uh, hardships she faced, allegedly, the greater power she accrued and what she did with that power to her colleagues. Right, right. So uh, as we said, she was able to use her her medical trauma and her real life uh, trauma that she was sharing with everyone as a currency um, to grab more power in, uh, in within Shondaland and within the writer's room. Um, and, and it's that Chris is Burnoff, who was the showrunner, who they're very, they became very close. They did. Yeah. Uh, so Krista, there was two different uh, leadership teams. Krista was the second one. And uh, uh, Krista and, um, uh, and Elizabeth were, they did, they became close. And like I said, they would, they would do press together. So, um, but what I learned in, in speaking with former writers was that um, Elizabeth was thought of as someone that you need to be very, very careful around. And because she you could trigger her in many, many ways, and she wasn't afraid to show it. Um, and if you said something that she didn't like, if you pitched an idea that she didn't like, um, she would would not hesitate to humiliate you. Um, and in some instances, got, she would or she would show, show you how offended she was. And what's crazy was that the things that would offend her were all parts of the stuff that she had already made up. So like, for example, you know, somebody would pitch something about like a suicide and she would get very upset and huff and storm out of room. And um, um, that's just, just a, this is just an, an example I'm making up, but because she had claimed that her brother had committed suicide, which we now know she hadn't made. So that's just the level of, of sort of craziness that was going on. And, and it happened regularly. And she had this very imperious, uh, a profile uh, in in the new in the writers' room, and people knew that if you crossed her, you could be in big big trouble, and it could end your it could be end your run on the show. And it happened to a few people. Uh, there, this quote you have from someone who worked with her in the room. Um, so this is, I think, to understand the dynamic, like this is how sort of um, vulnerable she presented herself let's see this person says we worked with someone who not only said she was sick with cancer but looked sick with cancer she lost her hair her skin was yellow and green she had a visible chemo port bandage and took regular regular breaks to vomit she only ate saltines for long periods of time um so like you get into some of the details in the story like she was doing she was actually shaving her head yeah. and attaching a fake port to her arm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She would shave her head. Um, she she I, I, I never quite figured out. People would tell me that her skin color looked off and she, but she were, she she would wear cover up um, often. Um, and yes, she would fake running out of the room to to pretend that she was throwing up. Um, and it 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 got to the point of of, of absurdity. Um, you know, she would take these things so far and I get into one anecdote and it wasn't just in the Shondaland to keep up the ruse. She would, she would do these, she would take it to such extreme lengths. Like for example, she would fly, she would regularly fly to Minnesota because she claimed that she was being, um, uh, she was being treated at the, the Mayo Clinic 
which is, you know, a world famous facility for, for, for cancer treatment. And so she would fly out there and would be picked up by friends and they would take her and drop her off at the Mayo Clinic and they would wait for her in the parking lot. And I asked her, I was like, what is that? Was that? And she wrote about this, by the way, in one of her essays. And I, um, I asked her, I was like, so did you, was that a lie? She's like, no, no, uh, they would, my, this, the gentleman's name was Nick. He said, Nick would drive me. And I was like, well, what, what did, what would he do? And she's like, oh, he would just wait in the parking lot. And I would go, well, what did you do? And she says, well, I would walk the Mayo Clinic's really big. So I would walk in and I would just sort of walk around the halls and I had my computer and I'd stop, I'd sit down and I'd, you know, do some work. And then once an hour or an hour and a half was up, I'd go back out and get in the car and act like I had just actually gone through an actual, you know, you know, treatment. It's, and oh my gosh, so she probably got like a fountain soda and like looked at magazines or I mean, like what in the world? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's, 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 it's just, it's this crazy stuff. And, wow. um, and it was, you know, ultimately I, I don't, it's very sad too. I mean, the thing is actually a friend of mine wrote me, he's like, you know what? It was just like, you know, I got a really hollow feeling really reading that story. And I was like, why? He's like, you know, it just was a very, it is ultimately a very sad story um, that she felt sad. that she felt compelled to do these things and that she took it to such lengths. And, um, you know, I think the story that I tried to write was to try and place her inside the entertainment industry and how certain elements of Hollywood were were which are unique to the entertainment industry in some ways aided and abetted her to get away with this for probably longer than she deserved to. Um, this idea that backstory is so important with a writer. And we, we've continued to see it's become more increasingly important, um, you know, and I think that that's probably the genesis of what made Elizabeth Finch what she became. Well, I think, you know, Peter does a great job of stating this in the story, just that we've gone through this evolution in Hollywood where, um, you know, the authorship of a person or, you know, the inclusive nature of, of what Hollywood's trying to do uh, often will reject people for whom it is not their experience or background to create that story. Right. Yeah, correct. Correct. That's the, that, 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 that's relatively new to the industry and, and it's becoming uh, much more of a, of a, of a universal rule, I think in the, in the town and, um, that puts a lot of pressure. It's already a pressure cooker world, the entertainment industry, and it's a very unpredictable r- marketplace for writers. And to then I- introduce this idea that you can only write on jobs that you can prove y- that you have lived experience from, well, that's going to, I think, push people to do things and say things about their past that just aren't true because people want to work in this town and it's it's a very competitive place and it's hard enough as is. So, I do, and I asked her this, and she did say she basically said it. What it, it did influence her, um, and it, and once you got that 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 feedback um, from the, her bosses and from her colleagues that she was special and this is this is meaningful, that just created this sort of snowball effect where she's like, "Wow, this is working." Well, watch this. I got another story for you guys. Well, she and it just kept on going. a medical soap opera, right? And um, and who else would have been more qualified than you know this person with these stories? I think you your your quote from her in the piece is she said, um, "There's a need to become known for something or to have some expertise." It was absolutely dead wrong to do that, but I can see how it might have brightened the spotlight on me. Uh, Culturally, it became cooler if the pitch was based on something in reality. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Um, the, uh, the other thing, which I'm sure Tatiana would have some thoughts on, this also dovetailed with Shonda's involvement in Me Too and Time's Up, where it, you know, the mantra was always believe women, like believe women's stories. And if you were skeptical, which one you point out, one consulting doctor was of Elizabeth, like that was, you know, it was not politic to question some, to question Elizabeth's stories. Yeah, I mean, and some of the part of it you mentioned before would have been so easy to check, which is the death of her brother. Uh, typically, when a coworker loses a loved one, people send flowers. Like, did 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 anyone even bother to see if the funeral home or whatever was not actually? accepting flowers in lieu of donations. Um, I mean, in lieu of flowers. Yeah. Yeah, Like, uh, like that would have been even just, it should have popped up on some assistance radar. Like, Hey, I look to see um, what charity we can give to instead of flowers. And I can't find this death anywhere on legacy.com. Right, right. Yeah, no. And and but but what's funny, I talked to people who were who had worked with her for long enough and they just it's it's some crazy thing that happens. To, it's like a group thing that happens where you like the stories that just got crazier and crazier, but they just got inert inured to it. They just thought that this is her. This is this. This is th- like this is a a woman who for some reason all this crazy stuff happens to her and it once they once you've accepted four or five of the lies as a group i I don't think people wanted to question her because you know a she was powerful within the newsroom i mean the sorry (laughs) the the writer's room um but i just felt like you know it's it's one of these examples of once people in, in in groups like start to think one way it's very hard to convince them otherwise and i think that that was what was going on right now everyone's going oh my god i can't believe i didn't i've been I, I, we believed all this stuff and i think people are very embarrassed about that but in the moment you know you just you just it's 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 the psycho it's the psychology of the group and that allowed her to pull off these just crazy things that not, actually when you stand back and you look at it you're like there's no way anyone should have believed this stuff. It well, was crazy. It's crazy. Peter, as you note, uh, you know, at the same time that this is going on at Shondaland, Shondaland is producing Inventing Anna, which <laughs> has some very, you know, it has a lot of parallels to this. Echoes. And it, you know what it also reminds me of is, is the James Fry, Oprah, you know, and the first page of that book, A Million Little Pieces, it's, he's so drunk and high he loses a couple teeth and that would be obvious just if he smiled like wait i don't say you know like people just believe if if the story is too good to be true it just might be well peter points out you know this sort of fascinating part of the story about this history of liars and fabulists in hollywood who become rewarded instead of punished right yeah which i think is an important part of this um is that Again, going back to the earlier ideas, could she have pulled this off in any other industry? And, uh, you know, maybe, but, you know, this is a town that celebrates dreamers and and people who are, you know, have fantastical imaginations. And, you know, uh, she's certainly not the first person to come along and, you know, make up portions of, her, of of who she was and where she came from and things that had befallen her. It's like, 
it's just it, it happens every single day in the entertainment well, industry. She just took it to such an extreme length. But Peter, you write about these aren't just like, you know, people on the level of Elizabeth Finch, like David Geffen. Um, he made up going to UCLA to get a job in the William Morris mailroom, right? Correct. And he, yep. and he, he talked about that in an interview with Fortune. Um, and then uh, Steven Spielberg, right? right. Like, what, what, what did he say exactly? He went when he was well, the, the, the lore w- regarding Steven Spielberg was that when he was 21, one summer when he was out visiting um, Los Angeles, he had done a tour of the Universal Studio lot and what was, was obviously wanted to become a filmmaker. He knew that at a very young age. And he later snuck on to the Universal lot. He put on a suit and a tie and a briefcase and he walked on and he found an empty office and he plopped down and he basically uh, acted like he was a studio executive to try and learn, you know, how filmmaking actually worked on an actual lot. And he apparently pulled this off for weeks and to the point where the security guards were ushering him in and, you know, the the uh, the operators were set up a phone for him. And so it's but it's part of like when it's when it's a Spielberg or a Geffen, it's like a it's like a part of the myth, you know. But when it's somebody like right. an Elizabeth Finch who takes, the, you know, the lies that she told are very different from what David and Stephen said obviously but still it it, it, it you you, you it, when you place it in the larger realm of how people you know fake it you know, what is it uh fake it till you make it right and fake she, it till you make it yeah, yeah fake it and and uh, that's the mantra of hollywood is you can fake it till you make it but then you gotta be there's there's some boundaries there and if you cross those boundaries you're going to be punished severely well, Geffen's quote in Fortune uh, was, did I have a problem with lying to get the job? None whatsoever. Yeah. So it's a point It's a point of pride almost now. Um, right. I, so I, uh, I think we're, I, I want to get back uh, while we wrap this up to, um, we, we're not answering on this podcast yet, though you do a very good job of it in the story. Why, what does she, why does she say she did this? So she is the main reason why she says she did this is that she has this. This is all born from a childhood trauma that that um, that she endured a physical abuse at the hands of her of, of her older brother, um, and that for years he had physically abused her, not sexually, physical abuse, um, and that he had uh, tormented her to the point where she she ultimately lived with this deep well of trauma um and so that was the sort of start of it all and then later she says why it started back in 2012 is that she had a knee injury and um had to have various surgeries and in the process a lot of her uh, close friends were providing her with immense amount of attention and care and she grew in, in a certain way addicted to that attention and that care from her friends and when when her knee got better Everyone said, yay, okay, great, you're recovered. Now we're going to go home and you can sort of get on with your life. And she felt extremely lonely. And I think that that was the moment when she probably realized that she was addicted to a certain level of attention. And so shortly thereafter, she was telling, she started telling people that they'd found um, a cancer in her. And she started telling friends this and they came back and they're like, I'm so sorry. They were all, you know, rallying around her. And then she took the crucial step of writing about it and publicly sharing that she had uh, this cancer in what was the first essay she wrote for um, Elle magazine. And then that just sort of, again, accelerated to the the craziness of all of these other lies. Um, I, I mean, 
So the essay in L was entitled How Friends, Family, and Friday Night Lights Helped Me Fight Cancer. And you quote from the essay, which has now been taken down off L. Uh, by the way. Um, But I catch fragmented glimpses of my bald reflection in the elevator mirror as I go up, up, up uh, to a conference room where a small herd of well-groomed doctors all equally inscrutable awaits. I mean, it's vivid stuff. Yeah. And and one of the and there's lots of sad things about this story. But one of the saddest is I don't she's actually she's a talented she's a talented writer. um, And clearly. I, and and she probably she probably could have easily had a, an excellent career um, without having to lie and make all this stuff up. And so that's 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 one of of many sad things that ultimately uh, that I that just sort of comes comes out of this story. It's I mean it's it's you can sort of poke fun and it it is crazy and you can like jo- laugh about it. But and and but uh, but it's it's really a tragic fall for this for this person. And, you know, I got to hand it like I, I was very hard on Elizabeth in the story, but it it did show a lot of courage for her to sit down. She answered all my questions. I mean, she 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 didn't she really didn't balk at anything. She she she, she you know, stood up to what she said she was going to do. And I you know, I did not hold back. And so I, I think at the very least, I, I can applaud her for going through with it. And I but, you know, a lot of people are, are responding to the to this to the um, piece and they're very they're still very upset with her and whether or not she'll ever be able to get back in good graces with the community of people that she knew before. I, I don't know. But, you know, well, I, she, I just to just put her in the current spot. She is persona non grata in the entertainment business now. Right. Like oh. nobody calls her. I, I mean, I, she's beyond canceled. You know, there's like, there's the, there's the people who are marooned on an Island and then she's on like Mars by herself. It's like, she has not, she has no one. I mean, she's lost like members of her family have disowned her and, and vowed never to speak with her again. Everyone in the community wants nothing to do with her. Um, and she's, she's very much, you know, for somebody who you can imagine somebody who got addicted to attention to then all of a sudden find yourself to, totally alone. And total a, a total pariah status. It's got to be an incredibly challenging and painful thing to be going through. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 tragic. And yeah. yet, it's a crime with no victims, right? I mean, maybe the brother kind of uh, can claim. I mean, am I right? There's there's yeah. really no victims to her. I mean, this crime is the here. biggest self inflicted wound of all time, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I that's 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 an excellent question, and the, some have argued to me that there were victims, that there were people whose careers were impacted by her decision to lie, how she was able to be, you know, promoted, she got uh, assignments on shows. She ultimately was able to. She became the golden child in in the, in in the, in the writers' room. And that may have come at the expense of somebody else. And in addition to that, people would have told me that she she impacted people's careers um, into in, in negative ways. So so yes, there's no like physical victim. She never hurt anyone. But people have made the case to me that there there she did negatively impact some people's careers. Um, and she misses Shonda. Yes, she misses Shonda. That was the. It was funny. Of all the people she mentioned when I was talking to her about it, she said, "I really wished." I said, "How did you pull this off? It must have been so hard." And she said, "Well, yes." And then she actually she started to cry, and she says to me, um, "I there was there was moments when I really wanted to tell Shonda," and that was the one person she said um, that, that she had she had a, a, a deep 
a, a, a longing to try and come clean to Shonda Rhimes. And I think she said that because Shonda sees people and I think the words she used were Shonda knows people do fucked up things, but that doesn't make them fucked up. And that Shonda doesn't want anyone living in shame. I believe it was something along those lines. Yes. Right. Right. She definitely has an affinity for Shonda and um, uh, you know, I, I, that came up often and she, she only had nice things to say about Shondaland and her experience there the feeling I can, I can assure you, I've been, I've been contacted by people who worked with her. It is not mutual right now. They're, they're just absolutely furious with her. Uh, And she wants to write for Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was just a peculiar. I, yeah, we were just sort of chatting and I was talking to her about what she wanted to do next. And, you know, we were, debating whether or not she ever had a chance in you know snowball's chance in hell of coming back to hollywood and i said well let's say you could what would you where would you want to work and she mentioned handmaid's tale which uh, was the sort of kicker at the, at the end of my story because it just sort of fit perfectly as the coda of 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 the story just and, because of the subject matter of the show and her quote is i love what they're doing in the world of redemption and what redemption looks like yeah All right yeah yeah I mean, it was um, it it was kind of a sh- it was it was both shocking and actually kind of perfect of, of show for her to choose. Yeah, well, I, Oprah fag- forgave James Fry on in that very sort of uh, public um, forgiveness on her show. So, right. and maybe Will Shonda- is promoting emancipation, and uh, Peter points out Mel Gibson is doing mainstream movies. So, there you yeah. go. Yeah, who knows. Well, quite a uh, bedtime story there, uh, Peter. Very nice. Uh, so, what do you do? I have, one, I have one question for you. You did uh, said four. Was it four sit downs? Uh, yeah, yeah. Your... Uh, one off the record, and then three on the record sit downs with her. You know, just I'm curious as just as a reporter when you're just sitting down and hearing this stuff, you didn't really know. I mean, going into this, you knew the the premise of her being fired and so forth, but a lot of this stuff was new from what you had heard before, right? I mean, you know, you would uh, this round. I mean, as you're sitting there, kind of hearing this stuff. I mean, I'm just curious, how does your mind kind of process this stuff because well, you're in real time? Yeah, well, I had I was not expecting her to totally confess because we had when we'd spoken, it was I and I told her, I said, look, if I'm not going to I'm not going to report any more lies from you. And so if we're going to get into your medical history and you're going to keep claiming that you were sick or ill, you had cancer, you're going to have to pre- present some medical records to me. And she says, well, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, well, that's going to be a serious problem for our for this process. And and then when we had our first on the record chat, she just within 20 minutes, I just asked her point blank. And she said, you know, I've never had any form of cancer. And right. so that was that was a that was sort of the shocking moment for me because I was coming in prepared to sort of pick apart, you know, uh, her documents her, or right, yeah. Her do- yeah, and figure out how to go about that. But I didn't have to do it because she just ultimately she wanted to tell someone the truth and confess and yeah. it just happened to be me. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was it was pretty wild. It was pretty emotional, and you know, we spent you know we spent a lot of time together, and yeah. um, it was it was it was pretty heavy. Yeah. Well, a job well done, Peter. What very well documented. You can uh, read all those details, and and there's still more. If you, you know, uh, we we touched on a lot, but there's even more to this story uh, at theankler.com. You can check that out, and uh, I think we will. Uh, that's a lot, a lot of story to take in. We can. 
leave the uh, UBS Bankers Conference to another time, Janice. I know you're dying we to can talk, talk about, about it. Avatar next week. Avatar will be <laughs> has another week till till that to bake in the oven there. So we will get to all that stuff when it's fresh on the mind next week. Uh, so remember to subscribe to uh, the Ankler at theankler.com. You can follow us on the socials at The Ankler. And, uh, of course, you can check out my newsletter, The Wake Up. Uh, I'll be doing the full box office roundup on Monday, not with Avatar or Glass Onion or any new movies this weekend on December 9th. But we'll get to that next week. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.